Welcome to Sam's Business Growth Show. I'm Sam Dunning, a digital marketing, sales, and business growth evangelist. Tune in and subscribe today as I'll be interviewing business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe. You'll be learning their story, how digital marketing has helped them along the way, and exclusive tips and insights to help you skyrocket your own business. And welcome back to a fresh episode of Sam's Business Growth Show. I'm thrilled today to be joined by the sales mastermind and legend that is Keenan. Keenan is author of the best-selling sales book and Amazon number one release, Gap Selling. He's CEO of a sales guy consulting and training. Through a sales guy, Keenan has helped companies increase sales 300% and he positions companies to raise millions of dollars in funding, rebuild sales cultures, implement ABM strategies, and build sales teams for multi-million dollar mergers Plus, he stops negative sales growth. He's been featured in Fast Company, Harvard Business Review, Inc., and many more. And he's a Forbes Top 30 social sales influencer back in 2014. Keenan, excited to chat to you, my man. How's it going? Good, baby. Good, good, good. <laughs> cool, dude. So there's plenty we want to learn from your good self. Um, so we'd like to start with learning a bit more about your story. So a bit of background on you, where you grew up and a few of the key places you worked at up to founding your own company. And if you could share with us a few actionable tips that you picked up along the way, could be in sales, could be in business, or could be in marketing. And that's there's a, a few- at one time. That's a lot <laughs> that's, of like, you gotta that's, go that's, at one time? Come on, man. <laughs> um, I grew up in Boston, it's the best way to put it. Um, uh, kind of bounced all over. My parents got divorced when I was young, so, um, you know, bounced all over. My mom got ill with diabetes when I was 13, so I went and lived with my dad. Um, and uh, so I think that's where I got my first sort of exposure to, to just business and who I am in general. Like I, I was just a kid who always wanted to like be working on something. Like like if you've ever had like a, a uh, Australian Shepherd or a Border Collie, the type of dog just has to be working, right? It doesn't just sit still. Like it, it's hurting something or digging something or finding something or chasing a ball. Like it just can't be sitting yeah. still. And I was that kid. So, you know, I think uh, people ask me this question a lot and, and I have three daughters. And last night I was watching um, uh, I'm Not Your Negro about James Baldwin. Um, I hope I got his first name right. Shame on me. But anyways, um, and it's about his experiences with Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and the uh, this year, London audience. I apologize if you don't know a lot of U.S. history, but it's going somewhere. I'm going somewhere with this. But okay. I, I just remember, I remember watching that. I've read tons of books on uh, race in America and being black in America. And I, so I have a, a solid understanding, being black myself, of the history and what goes on. But as I was watching that, that made me realize that when I was a kid, my dad made me watch stuff like that or other things. And I make my children watch not just that relating to race in America, but to anything and everything. My dad exposed me to lots of shit. And my mom exposed me to lots of stuff and expected that I read and learn and pay attention. Like when I was a kid or when I was like 12 years old, 11 years old, I knew who the Secretary of Defense, Casper Weinberg was. Like I knew shit, you know what I'm saying? And so why am I telling you all this? All of being exposed to stuff and, and being challenged as a kid to be aware of what's going on, combined with this natural inability to sit still, I was the kid starting lemonade stands everywhere. I was the kid going door to door, selling the most raffle tickets for my schools, you know, fundraiser or selling the most chocolate bars or, or, you know, creating a, a you know, a, a 
pretty piece of shit, but fun to do haunted house in, our, in my basement of which we tried to sell, you know, tried to sell and market to people going down the street. I mean, I was always doing shit. And so what did I go with all this? Last night, it made me realize that much of who I am today and many of the things that I've been willing to accomplish, willing to fail at, willing to do, came from a childhood that just demanded of me to be exposed to stuff and try stuff and be aware of stuff. It was anything but shelter. You know what I'm saying? And, um, and, and, and I'm trying to do that with my daughters. Like I, I make my daughters go outside and do shit. My daughter started a, a, a um, chocolate chip um, cookie business where it's actually ingenious. My youngest, she's the really smart one because she keeps doing it. The other two are like, eh, I, I raise them too privileged. They don't lack for much. But my youngest, they created, it's called Three Sisters Cookies. And they literally designed when they were like seven, six, and like four, drew a picture of themselves. You know how rough that would have looked, right? Like little stick things. Yeah. And they wrote their names under each of them. And then I digitized it and put it on a sticker. And so this round sticker. And then when they make these cookies and wrap them, they put that sticker on it. It said Three Sisters Cookies. You could tell little kids drew it. And they'd go out with a little basket and they'd sell this shit to people. And they'd make $60, $70 a, in a day. That's so smashing it, man. Like, yeah, they were like fuck lemonade stands. Like they would make the cookies an hour and a half. They'd sell each cookie for three dollars or two for five bucks. They could get like fifteen or twenty cookies into the little basket. I mean, they made it like that. I mean, it's like so. Wow. Anyway, the point of the long story is, yeah, I'm teaching my kids that. That's what happened to me, and and I think that's really what drove me or played a huge role in in, in sort of who I am today and and how I see the world and tackle business today. Got it, man. So exposed to a lot of things from a young age. And it sounds like you were trying all, all sorts out, all, all sorts of different entrepreneurial ideas. Yeah. And um, <laughs> that, totally. that brought, and like you said, you can't sit still, a bit like myself, really. That's, that's why my, uh, my fiance always has a go. And we always, always want to be working on the next idea or seeing what, what's going on with work or working on the podcast. Yeah, I can totally relate to you. So, okay. So that from a young age. So then um, is there a few experiences in business, perhaps a few places that you worked at, Keenan, up to founding your own company? you could share with us any um any stories when it comes to sales lessons or business lessons or even marketing lessons that that jump out from from your experiences to date until you started your business i mean i mean it really depends on how one defines that but i think for yeah. me personally um the there are a couple of lessons that stand out the most that were the biggest so the first one was um you know i got into the so i didn't start a real quote unquote real career till later i was 27 so you know, that's not sitting still. I, I still had to have fun. So I was, you know, I, I went to college for a couple of years, just partied, barely kept my grades up, uh, left after two years, moved to Vail uh, to be a ski bum, was a ski bum for a year, had a time of my life. I mean, it was amazing. Fun. Oh, it was unbelievable. Skied like 130 straight days. Um, oh, partied every night. I mean, it was just phenomenal. <laughs> then I went to Boulder, Colorado, uh, instead of going back to Boston, then partied there for a few years. And I was like, okay, I got to get my shit together. So I went back to school. Um, and then I went back to school, I was still partying, but at least I'm going to college and, and got my grades up from a 2.0 to a 3.0. So at least I was a semi-real student and, um, and then bartending at night, et cetera. And then, so then when I left that, I just, I was started modeling and that was going okay. okay. So I, yes. And so I moved to, um, South Beach, Miami to, to take it to the next level. I'd, I'd been working with, where I'd worked with lots of major brands uh, and also Tommy Hilfiger and stuff like that. And then I got a call from a buddy. I think I was 26, 26 or 27. I got a call from a buddy. He's like, you got to come home. 
I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, it, it's this whole thing of playing and modeling and partying. It, you got to stop. It's over. I got a job for you. You'll crush it at this job. And so I said, okay. And it was selling chamber memberships for the Denver Metro Chamber of Commerce. So oh, right. America, we have these, yeah, we have these chamber of commerce that business join in, in local cities and they pool all their resources and they help influence policy or, and they also have programs to help businesses grow, blah, blah, blah. So what I learned at that one was that if you just, how to out hustle everybody. So they, I had never worked a day in my life in a real job and they were nervous to hire me. And the only reason they hired me is because my buddy knew them, knew the head of sales or whatever, right? So they said, all right, we'll give you a chance. But they hired another dude with me as like their safety net. You know what I'm saying? So that dude didn't make it three months. I broke every sales record, started beating all of the, the, the guys who've been there forever, you know, the veterans, blah, blah, blah. So I realized, oh, you can just out hustle people. First thing I learned. Then from there, I, I got another job uh, where I doubled my salary, my base salary selling IT consulting services, and then became a partner at that firm within two and a half, two years, two and a half years, something like that. Um, and you had to be there a year before you could be a partner. So I just crushed that job and, and I don't say out hustled everybody, but I just, just crushed that job as well. So then from there, a client, uh, uh, a partner client hired me into a new job. And this was a big, big, big billion dollar company to be vice president of sales. So, and I ran a $300 million line of business. Now that was through a relationship I built, but from 1996 to 2000, so in like a three year, three and a half year, four year period, I went from modeling on the beaches, South beach to running a $300 million line of business and 125 people nationwide. Right. So that was a good run. I'm sorry. That's quite a change. change. (laughs) Yes. yes. So when when you say out hustled people, Keenan, can you break that down a little bit? What does that mean? Just working nonstop kind of 12 hours a day or more, or does that mean something a bit more? What does that mean for you? Um, I, I guess I was at their own definition, right? For me, it was less about working 12 hours a day. Cause I don't do that even now. I don't, I don't, I don't, I can't work all the time. I just, I, I have to be working all the time, but I can't work all the time. If that makes any sense. Right. So, but it was for me is when I was in that office and this was, remember, this is before the internet or pretty much before the internet, there was, there was email, this is 1980. No, this is in 1996, probably. So okay. there's email, you know what I'm saying? And shit like that. But it's, 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 it's it. We, we were still mailing out trifolders. You're probably even too young to know what the hell that means. Like the people say, oh, can you send me information? We had these little folders. You'd open them up and you'd put stuff in the pockets and fold them and put them in an envelope and mail that shit out. We were still doing that. Literally, you got someone to say, send me your information. We'd all walk out to this table that had all the slicks that you had and and you put it and then put an envelope on it and put the sticker on it and mail that shit out literally. So, got it. Um, but what I did in that time was I didn't fuck around. Like when I was there, I made more calls, I made extra calls. I was made smart calls. It was like, who am I supposed to work on? I would be out driving home at night and I'd see a truck with a, a name on it. And I first thing I do, the, I'd write it down. The first thing I do the next morning, I'd see if they were a member, see if anybody working on it. I'm like, Ooh, I got one. Like I was just constantly just, just, on it and, 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 and making more calls and figuring out ways to make streamline my calls. And just so I would hustle that way. I didn't just work till, you know, 15 hours a day, but I, when I was working, I just outworked them. Mm-hmm. Got it, man. And was that a similar situation in, in the next company? Cause I know you said you did the IT job that you crushed, then you went on to become a VP of sales. Was it managing a whole bunch of people? And um, was that a similar oh, thing yeah. that you did? You just worked harder than everyone else or was there any other Strategies um, on that one, you know, I don't know if on that one I worked harder. I maybe I just worked smarter. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I just that one was harder to see how other people were working. You know, what I'm saying that was it's hard to explain that environment, but it wasn't as transactional, right? 
Um, I just learned it. I got in there, learned that business. And again, they did the same thing with me. They, I'd, I'd never sold this great story behind it, but I know we don't have the time. Um, I never, I didn't know what IT was. I didn't know it was, it was right before Y2K. I, need, I hadn't even heard of Y2K and this is like 1998 now or something like that. Um, so you know, they had no business hiring me. I mean, I had one year selling experience, one, and didn't know anything about IT, didn't know anything about computer development, didn't know anything about Y2K and they hired me and they hired another girl who had experience next to me and she was their insurance policy. Same thing that happened the first time. She didn't make it three months and I, I crushed it and became a partner, right? So. Um, I don't know, man. I just learned the game, figured out what I need to do, made the calls, put in the work and just was obsessed. I don't, I don't like to fail. Got it. Got it. And um, just before we get into how you set up uh, a sales guy consulting and training, is there anything else, any other experiences that might be of value to, to our audience? Yeah, I think what I tell people here is so that those first three years were great and I loved them. Loved them. I had a blast. Loved. I mean, I would. I would get excited to go to work. Like I'd wake up. Woo! I can go to work today, right? I, the place I worked was awesome. I got amazing lessons on how to build a company there. That's a much longer story. The CEO at the time, well, it, the guy who started it owned eighty percent of the business, and he had grown it from um, with just a partner from uh, like basically nothing up to one hundred and fifty million dollars, which was you know, and this is a consulting, which is cash heavy, right? Like not a lot of assets, but so he was. I mean, he was making bank. And he was only 40 years old. He started when he was 30 and within 10 years, he grew up to that. And I just learned a lot from him on how to build a company, right? So, Got it. Um, but then after that, I start, I, I, 2000 comes, I leave that job where I was running with all those people. I started my own business, failed, had to go back into the world. And that's when I got into some bigger, more um, political corporate world and learned that I fucking hate the corporate world. I, I, I find it to be the most, uh, inefficient thing on the planet. Politics wins. Um, not necessarily the person who's the best at what they do, but the person who best plays the political game. As a matter of fact, um, Carl Icahn, if I could ever find it again, had said a great thing on 60 Minutes. He said he would dismantle the whole thing. He says, corporate America doesn't reward the best, most talented people. It rewards the people who can get along with the people the best. And so that means anybody who, who bucks the system, who tries to challenge it, who tries to be innovative, who tries to you know, do what's right, doesn't fare well in those environments and the people who just sort of learn how to placate everybody and work with everybody, you know, at, at the cost of the business, they get rewarded regardless. Right. So I learned really early on after that, I, that's not me. I can't do that shit. And so Good I was man. like, all right, I'm out. I can't do this. It drives me insane. And is that the point where you set up on your own? I set up on my own about three or four different times. Like what a lot of people oh, okay. don't understand, just like actors and actresses and stuff like that. Um, you only see them when they pop up on the scene, like, oh, wow, these guys are great. Oh, my, right. You know, you didn't know that they had been singing in bars for five years before that or 10 years before that. You didn't know, like, you ever heard of the movie Fast Times at Ridgemont High? I haven't, actually. Okay, you got to go get that movie. It's it's freaking hilarious. It's an American icon classic. It came out in like 82 or 81. Um, it's about the surfing kid in California. It's just, it's an American classic, right? Nicolas Cage is in that movie, and the only reason you would know it is he's a fry cook, like a, like a, a fry, you know what a fry cook is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Cooking like a, chips and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And he's in the background, as, as one of the main people, characters, is getting yelled at by a customer. You see his face just behind him, you know, looking, and you're like, that's Nicolas Cage. Like, he was just a nobody <laughs> working before we ever knew who he was, is my point, right? So I failed at three different businesses before this took off. And um, 
And so um, I, I started businesses fair, went back to the man, found another business, started it fair, went back to the man. But I kept trying to get out, and finally I got out. This one I've been doing for nine years, ten years. Fair play, man. So the audience tuning in are always interested to know a bit more about how you've grown your business, so whether you brought on clients from other jobs that you've acquired over time, or whether you've had success with particular marketing strategies, be it digital, so it could be social, it could be online marketing, or, or whether it was all cold, whether it was all cold outreach prospecting via email or telephone. So if you could share a bit more about how you've built your customer base, how you've built up your sales pipeline, Keenan, we're always interested to know. Yeah, so I don't know if I'm a good model to follow because most people, <laughs> I don't know if most people have the time to put in, um, but I didn't start out to start this business. That's the irony in this. And it's, it's very reminiscent of my blog posts or any other type of content I create. So I, I purposely started three businesses and all three of those businesses failed for different reasons. I purposely don't start this business and it's been my most successful and it's been going for 10 years or nine years, right? So uh, I started blogging in 2009. Um, started that blogging because um, because my career went so quickly, every time I needed to get a new job with the man, it took too long because my, my, ex, my, ex, my experience was uh, lagging my expertise. So in other words, the number of years I had been working was far shorter than the level of actual expertise that I had. Does that make any sense? And yeah, so, that's what said. Yeah, so, so um, it just took me forever to find a job at the level I was because I'd be competing with people who were anywhere from 10, 15 years older than me who had been doing it for 10, 15 years longer, even though I was in the same capacity. So I started blogging because I was like, I'm tired of this shit. Like, I'm going to blog and I'm going to build an audience. And if I ever need to get a job, I'll write to that audience. If I can get an audience of a couple hundred people or a couple thousand people, if I ever say, hey, I'm looking for a job, they've been reading me, they know what I do, they know how I do it. That can be my resume. Like that was my thought. Well, I did blog every day for two years. And all of a sudden people started reaching out saying stuff like, oh, hey, I've been reading your blog and I've been struggling. Do you do consulting? Oh, I've been reading your blog. Do you do coaching? And I remember my first client and she's like, I got a sales manager that's not doing well. Will you, will you coach her? And I, was, I still had a real job so I could squeeze that in. No one would know. So I said, I threw out a number and she said, yeah, okay, great. And I was like, ooh, that was easy. So I took her on. And then from there, I, the company I was working at just happened to get acquired. They let the U.S. sales organization go. I was vice president of sales operations and strategy. So I had a choice. Spend another six months trying to find a job or spend six months trying to build this. I said, let me see what it's going to take to build this. And I never turned back. Nice, dude. So that yeah, blog. So the point in that is everything has been inbound until the last year when I finally went and hired a salesperson. Everything was inbound. Nice. 100%. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, that's almost the dream, isn't it? Being in sales, all the opportunities coming to you. Mm -hmm. yep. And you're quite, you're quite ahead of the curve, really, it sounds like, building the blog back in 2009. So that's a little while ago now, 11 or so years. Yeah, I was way ahead of the curve. Had no idea, but yeah, way ahead of the curve. Worked out well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Is that the main source that still drives leads now, or are you investing in other channels like paid ads, SEO? Oh, yeah. and all that stuff? oh I don't blog much. I, I keep saying I want to keep blogging, but I... I, I I don't blog nearly as much as I should, you know, um, now it's mostly video from, uh, YouTube and from LinkedIn. I'd say 80% of the content I create now is on LinkedIn. Got it. LinkedIn. That's the one. Awesome. So gap selling, there's a couple topics that I want to cover today. Um, and I'm sure they're going to be useful for the audience because we haven't covered them yet on the show. So in, in the book gap selling, you say we shouldn't be your buyer's bitch or we, a, a sales rep, business owner, whatever should never be your buyer's bitch. Um, 
So why is that? Because often when, when we're dealing with, with customers, salespeople have a bad habit of bending over backwards to try and get deals done. Um, so if we could talk a bit about that and why we shouldn't obey all the orders that prospective customers ask us to do and why we should take a backbone or be stronger. Yeah, look, I mean, it's sort of like a relationship, right? Like, you ever seen a relationship where the guy, the girl is just the other person's little bitch and, and one person has complete control and the other one is just this subjugated, you know, minion who does whatever they say. It never goes very well. If it does, someone's not happy in the relationship, right? And so this is no different. And what happens is the reason salespeople do this is because they haven't really established themselves of offering any value. They, they, they pitch themselves or their product and service and then just then wait for the customer to make the decisions or do what the customer asks or wait for the customer to decide what they want to do and then ask for more information or ask for this. And they really don't position themselves up providing any value with inside of the sales process. And so the buyer is, is trained to think that the salesperson is subjugated to the buyer, buyer salesperson. And what I say is don't even act that way. Don't put yourself in that position. You have all of the information about the product you sell, the impact that product can have, uh, how that, that product can influence a business. And so therefore you should position yourself as a, as like people say, a trusted advisor or a or partner in the selling process that can help that buyer. And so if the buyer is not going to let you work with them in that manner, then just don't do it. Like, like, because I could promise you if, if the buyer, if you allow you, if you allow yourself to be the buyer's bitch, then you're an order taker. Bottom line, you, you are not a seller anymore. You're no longer influencing the sale. You're no longer influencing anything that's going on. You're literally just an order taker. And people pay way too much money for you to be, to be an order taker. And you're losing deal over deal over deal. You'll be working on deals that will never close. You don't spend enough time on deals that could have closed or you missed the opportunity to influence those deals. It's a shit show. Good point. So I'm sure a lot of people tuning in are thinking, there's so many instances where prospective customers ask me for a quote, they ask me for a proposal, they ask me to fill in an RFP. It might be over email, it might be over LinkedIn. And I'm sure a lot of people just think, oh yeah, we'll fill that in. They've given us a basic brief. We're going to fill it in. We're going to send a quote, but then never hear anything back. So it's yeah. just well, that's, ab yeah, that was absolute, good. absolute silence. So what's the best practice, Keenan, if this happens? Yeah, you, you basically say no. I mean, you don't even entertain it, right? Ever. I mean, if someone calls me up and says, hey, Keenan, we're interested in sales training. How much could you send us a proposal? Uh, I mean, I've already I've trained my salesperson this way. I, I'll do this. When I work with other companies, I train them the same thing. We're like, hey, we'd, first statement, we'd love to help you. But before we send over proposals, I'd love to understand what's going on inside the organization. What are you struggling? Why do you think you need sales training? What's going on? Anything to start the conversation to bridge the gap or to, or to begin to, to start the process of trying to uncover why they think they need sales training. Because what I say to salespeople is if you don't know what, listen, salespeople, pay very close attention. If you don't know why the customer should buy, then why are you selling it? Like, why are you selling it? And it amazes me. I will ask people all the time, hey, you know, why are they, why are they buying our sales training? This is us. Why are they buying our sales training? Well, they need sales training. No, that's not an answer. Like, if I say, why do they want to buy? And you say, oh, well, because they need a new chair, if that's what you sell. Well, why, why are they buying? Well, they need new software. That's, that's not an answer. Why do they need new software? Why do they need sales training? Well, because they're not making enough money. 
Well, that's still, what is it? Not enough money. Like, well, I don't know. Well, then you don't know why the fuck they need to buy. Like salespeople literally sell things without a complete picture or understanding of what is currently going on that is driving that need. And without that understanding of what is currently going on, you're, you can't sell, period, end of discussion. So that's why you don't. You say no, because here's the deal. For every one of those that would have bought, 10 wouldn't have bought, and you would have spent countless hours and time and effort chasing them down, putting them in their pipeline, thinking they're gonna close, counting on them. It's, it's a waste. So I'd rather you lose that one plus the other nine and only, and only respond to five and get two of those, right? We'll get six and get two of those six. Now you're at a 30% close rate as opposed to a 10% close rate and you don't have to work. Got it, got it. So um, knowing when to turn, turn business down and- That's not even ask- turning business down. See, that's, look, that, that's like, like people say, no one to turn business down. That in, my, in gap selling world, turning business down is after you've discovered everything that's going on and you say, hey, you know what? I mean, we could help you, but based on where you are today and based on what you're trying to do, i.e. the gap, where you are today, where you want to be tomorrow, and understanding your, your entire current environment and blah, 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 I don't think we're the best solution. What I would suggest to you is you go do this. That's turning business down. When someone calls you up and says, send me a proposal, that's not even opening the door. Like, that's not turning business down because you don't even know that that's business. That's literally not even opening the door. It's like a doctor. No doctor in their damn well good mind would let someone walk in and say, hey, give me a prescription for oxycodone, right? Hey, I'll pay cash and give me a whole year's supply, right? Or, or do this, or give me an MRI. The doctor's like, fuck off. What's going on? I'm not gonna do a thing or say a thing until you tell me what's going on, what's hurting you, how long's it been happening, et cetera. Salespeople should be the same way. Great analogy. Yeah, exa- exactly right. Enabling uh, your prospective customers to let you do proper discovery. Yep. And you can make yep. sound recommendations yes. and tailored solutions. Yes. Got it. And in the, in the book, we talk about, you talk a lot about getting people to their desired state or their future state. So could we, could we, can you give us a quick snapshot of the best way or any tangible examples of how to get people excited? Because I think that's something I struggle with. And it's something I've heard other people struggle with. They can, they can do discovery. They can uncover problems. They can uncover root causes, but when it comes to actually getting people to imagine, to get excited about the future state, it's always a tricky, tricky kind of thing when it comes to storytelling, things like that. So have you got any advice or piece of tips that that might be able to help people with that, Keenan? Okay, let me ask you a question. How long have you been doing this um, podcast? Not long, actually, about six months now. So since the start of the year. All right. And how many people have you interviewed? Oh, just over 50. 50 people in six months. Yeah. Wow. So how, how, do you launch them every day? At the moment, I'm recording most days. Okay. And, 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 and do you, but once you record, how long before you, you put oh, it out? So I've managed to get a producer now. So it's about two to three weeks. So you've got 50 that you've got to get out. So basically, you've got two years supply right now backed up. No, what I mean is there's 50 almost live. But at the moment, I've probably got about 10 or so on stock. Stop okay. ready. Okay. And um, how, long, how much time does it take you to do all this? It took me so much time. I had to get a producer. So I've got my friend now that produces, edits, chops it all up. And when you say so much, what does so much time mean? What does that mean, so much time? Yeah, sure. So it, it started affecting my normal work. So obviously I work for Web Choice Digital Marketing Company. So it's, it took, took up time away from my selling time. And so that's, did it, did it affect it negatively? Were you starting to see things slip or were you afraid things were going to slip? 
yeah, I mean, it was it was making me tired. It was making me um, annoyed because obviously I need to focus on our main business. And Got it. Uh, okay. And and how many how many viewers or downloads or whatever right now are you getting? If you don't mind sharing. Yeah, yeah, completely varies. So we we put the podcast out on YouTube anywhere up to five hundred views per episode. Then the the downloads on the podcast are similar at the moment. Okay. And 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 what type of guests are you looking to get? So we, we interview business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe. So are you, so you, you don't, you, so your vision is to get just, I mean, your vision is to get the type of people you're getting now, or are you hoping to get bigger, bigger, more well-known names? Yeah. I mean, always looking to, always looking to get larger names. So okay. any, anyone who can, we can that fits the bill. And when you think about the bigger names, if there were certain types of names you could get, who would be some of the people you'd like to get? I mean, I've, I've got people on my mind, but that's just because I want to make this show controversial because I've had a lot of sales leaders. So the, the person on my mind at the moment is Brad Cardone, but purely for an iconic level. <laughs> okay. All right. And, and how many, when you envision success, how many people you think are watching, how many downloads and views do you think you're getting? Or what other metrics you would use? Oh, what would be successful? 20K a month, something like that, downloads? 20K plus okay. downloads a month. Okay. So can you imagine, like when you think about that, what is your plan to get that? Like when you, when you, what is your plan over what time to get to that 20,000 downloads a, a month? Probably a year, two years. Year or two years. Okay. And, and so right now, if you do the math, are you tracking to that in the next year? I don't think so. Okay. Do you see what I just did right there? I literally just got your whole current state and I got you to talk about your future state, your vision. You want to get to 20,000 downloads. You want Grant Cardone right? And check it out. You're not on track right now to that 20,000. I could have asked if you have any insights to Crank Cardone. So if you, re if I kept going, I would have flushed that out and I would have realized that you're not on track. You have no insights to Grant Cardone, et cetera. And if I was selling a product that could have made those things happen, I've got your attention. You've opened me up like a book there. Yeah. I've got like, I've got <laughs> your attention. I literally, I have found what you, all that's current state stuff. Why you got a producer? How many of you've created? How many downloads you're getting? How many views you're getting? The pain that it's causing you, right? I got all of that. And then I got where you want to take this. What's important to you in the future? I just answered your question and I showed everybody how to do it. Amazing, dude. And you did it in about two minutes. <laughs> yep. Yep. I've, I've been officially gap sold. Love it. Yes. Yes. So if I only had a product, I could have like moved that product right into you, right? And I could have dug even deeper and flushed it out and got to, you know, to, you know, what are the challenges of growing it faster? You know, and I could have done more and more and more, but that's to answer your question. How do you get people focused on the, on the future or the vision and get them excited? You do what I just did. You get them thinking about the current state, then you get them thinking about the future state and by default, they start realizing how big that from where they are to where they want to go. They start feeling that they're not there. They start getting concerned. They can't get there. They start thinking about what it's going to take. They start thinking about what's missing and you just kind of just walk through the door. Epic, man. Well, this, this has been really useful for everyone tuning in. Keenan, we do like to ask, if there's one thing, I think you're into video, so that could be the answer. Is there one thing that businesses should be doing with digital marketing that they can start today that's going to benefit their sales and their business? Focus on the message. I think too many people think it's the delivery. I mean, look, yes, I do video. I do video because it serves me well. It fits my personality. Um, but it might not do so well for someone else or another business. So to me, it's, it's less about the medium video or 
the distribution channel, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever. It's more about your message and your brand and your culture. So go play where you're best and you can make the most noise. And, and that should start with understanding who your buyer is, what do you sell to them, and how are you delivering a message that gets their attention, how you can help them. Message, brand, and culture. That's great. Okay, man. I'd like to ask everyone that comes on, if you could thank just one person, either dead or alive, having a positive influence on yourself and your career, who would that be and why? Wow. It's sad. I, 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 I'm curious what other people have to say in, in how many people thought trite answers versus how many people can say, oh my God, unequivocally, this man or this woman, like single-handedly or had a huge impact because um, I don't have, I have, I have one person I'm gonna say here in a second, but it's a good opportunity for me to, for other people to be paying attention. We need more invested mentors and leaders, right? We need more of those because there really isn't a person in my life that I can be like, this guy or this girl was there with me, they stayed with me, they were vested, they checked in, they challenged me, they pushed me, they didn't let me accept, you know, uh, certain things. They didn't let me accept mediocrity. They called me on my bullshit. They, you know, applauded me when I was doing with, they, you know, made connections for me. Like someone who's like a critical peer or, or mentor don't have one of those, right? Uh, just people don't like to invest their time in other people. So, uh, but there was one guy who gave me a chance after that first um, job I had, his name was Mike Sexy. He was a guy that was a huge influence in hiring me. I know Sexy, you gotta love that name, right? Um, <laughs> Immature, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he played a huge role in um, getting me that job with that IT consulting firm when everybody else, the kid's got no experience. He's only been selling for years, one year. He doesn't know our space. He doesn't know this. He doesn't know that. And he was like, no, this kid, this kid can do it. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, he, he was the one who got me to believe I could get it done. Uh, I talk about his leadership style a lot. So I, I give credit to him. But he was only there. For, it's the influence he had that set me, set me on my way. But there was no one there that was there all the time. Or it was a big chunk, you know what I'm saying? So, so that my message in that is people, people look for opportunities to get involved with people and help them. And don't just help them and then move on. Like, we need more people leading and helping more people. Because I think there's a lot of young people, even older people, but a lot of young people who may not reach their level because they come from places where they don't have a father figure or a mother figure. Or they come from places that just are outside of the realm of where they'd be good. And if someone could help them pull them up or show them in the right direction or, or build them up, or, you know, maybe they came to a place that people didn't support them and, and told them they were a loser and they just need confidence. Like people can help people if we're looking for it, but we're always just trying to grab that perfect person out of that perfect school with the perfect pedigree. And we're losing all kinds of great talent um, because people aren't stepping up and looking for ways to, to mentor people or mentor young people, et cetera. So we can do more of that. Thanks man. That's a great message. Well, everyone, you've been tuning in to Sam's Business Growth Show, where we sit down with business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe. We find out their story, how marketing's helped along the way, and their exclusive tips and insights to help you skyrocket your sales and your business. Keenan, tell us a bit more about the best way people can get in touch, how everyone can connect with you and your business. Yeah, you can go to keenan.live, keenan.live, or you can go to salesguide.com. And then, of course, you can find me on LinkedIn under Keenan. So, any one of those. Thanks, mate. Really appreciate you coming on. I got you, baby. Thank you. Are you tired of constantly hunting for new customers? You could be missing out on regular inbound opportunities all because your website isn't on the first page of Google. 
Perhaps you're already spending lots of money on advertising, but your website is failing to convert all of your hard-earned visitors into a consistent flow of new customers. If you'd like to learn more about our unusual approach that brings idle clients straight to you, connect with Sam Dunning on LinkedIn or book a free 20-minute consultation via webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com. Subscribe today for more digital marketing, sales and business growth tips from the experts.